1: To understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. I've and and got a problem with soccer. sweet friend.
2: Foot
3: what
1: a start
3: so what I can guarantee to you is that they work to keep everything secret.
2: Welcome to House of Champions podcast, listeners, YouTube viewers, wherever you are in the world. Download, follow, share, leave a five-star review. Let us know what you think. It is our pleasure to be chatting about the global game, the biggest game in the world uh, and the biggest players in the world. I'm joined by Mike Lahood and Jonathan Johnson. And we are here with breaking news, massive breaking news at 2 p.m. UK time for Kaio Saka, one of the frontrunners. Well, I mean, when we say one of the frontrunners. There is one frontrunner to win all the... In- prizes this season but one of the front runners aside from Erling Haaland and if Erling Haaland didn't exist to win all the individual prizes but mm-hmm. Bakayo Saka has signed his new contract at Arsenal I'm told that will run through till 2027 it is uh, massive news for Arsenal it is long expected you have to go right the way back to August for when Saka said he shared Mikel Arteta's confidence that a new deal would be signed it is finally done and dusted Mike Lahoud how massive is this for Arsenal
1: Oh, this is everything. This is a player who's Arsenal through and through. You've seen a move, youth movement since Mikel Arteta has taken over. He's not just building a team that's made to compete in the Premier League now. He's building a team to compete in the Premier League for years to come. And when you're a manager, when you have a successful season the way Arsenal have, the surprise of Premier League football this season, you have to lock in a core. They've already gotten Gabriel Martinelli. You're starting to see contract extensions for the likes of Ramsdale. And now they have the most important player in an Arsenal jersey, my Premier League player of the season. Never thought I'd say that for Arsenal, but I believe that this is a player. I know you're going to say I'm crazy. This
2: is like his Inter Milan pick.
1: You're like, (laughs) but this is all to say this is massive for the club.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like it's a huge boost for Arsenal, obviously. Uh, you know, a bit of a pick-me-up for for the fan base after a disappointing couple of weeks as well. But, uh, you know, I do think it's, it's fantastic news for Arsenal and the direction that the Gunners are going in in general. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a big boost to Mikel Arteta ahead of the summer transfer window as well, now knowing that one of his star names is absolutely unequivocally uh, locked down. Uh, it just occurred to me, actually, because I know that... Um, uh, I know, I know the good old JJ of Aston Villa uh won the award today. Has, has Saka ever won the Premier League Graduate Award? Because I'm like, it's something that's kind of cropped up a couple of times, but I've never actually seen it like sort of on a yearly basis saying, you know, this is the player who's won it. Because I know Mason Mount won one, Ramsey won it this year for Villa, but Premier surely League Saka would have won it.
2: Is that the Premier Pot's... League two one you mean? Because that one's been won by Reese Nelson, but not Saka. I think there's this strange thing where he he jumped so quickly from promising young player. Freddie Youngberg was getting so much out of him. And I could tell stories, but this isn't the Saka pod. Producer Des will let me have one of them at some stage. Um, he took such a leap that it was almost like he didn't have that, that period of Premier League two football or what you thought. I mean, I know they change it every season, but no. And sadly, like he's probably not going to win the young player of the year award because it will go to, I mean, it's the Premier that, the PFA Young Player of the Year award normally can go to someone in their mid-thirties, if I remember, which I approve of. That is young people. Young people are in their mid-thirties. Would you not agree, JJ? Um, oh, yeah, but, I can't disagree. <laughs> I don't know why you
3: came to me and not Mike.
2: <laughs> well, come on, Mike. Don't even Mike Um it'll probably go. They'll, they'll all go to Haaland, but it would be good, I think, if Saka got Young Player of the Year. Um, and this is massive for Arsenal because you know, we're so used to seasons that have had contract crises looming over them where their best. And actually in theory, Saka was out of contract in just over a year's time, but there never was that sense of risk. And, um, crucially now it's rather than worrying about losing their best players. They're looking at Declan Rice. They're looking at Mason Mount and they're saying, we want your best players. Anyway, that was our little diversion from the top. Um, because, you know, this is the big breaking news of the Premier League, but, we're going to be talking a lot about transfers and contracts quite soon because, guys, the Premier League season is very, very nearly over. We are heading into the final week, match week of the season. And there is a little bit to play for. We've got a bit of top four for now. Michael Hood looking nervously at what Chelsea and Fulham, West London's finest, might be able to do to Manchester United season. We know that the top three or three of the teams in the top four will be Man City, Arsenal and Newcastle United, but Mike, little worrying times for your, uh, little worrying times for your Manchester United. Further down in the Europa League, Aston Villa vying for sixth place again. JJ, you'll be reliant on, I mean, slightly less on. Un- <laughs> You've got decent hopes, I think, of Man City maybe getting something against Brighton, and then it would be a playoff for six, wouldn't it, on the uh, final day? Spurs also in the mix there for Europa Conference League. We'll talk about relegation in the. Uh, in the final section, but as I've got a, a Villa fan and a uh, Manchester United fan here, I'll come to the Villa fan first. JJ, what are you, uh, do you have much hope? Uh, Is it just, you know, I mean, in theory, actually it's kind of, you kind of think it may well be in your hands on the final day.
3: I mean I think you, Villa fans have got to be realistic uh, you know sort of once we went through that blip uh, you know and we had the consecutive defeats at Old Trafford uh, and then against Wolves I think that realistically knocked us into a position where we were only really ever going to be fighting for 7th place which is uh, Europa Conference League I think you know Brighton would have to be extremely unlucky to be on the the receiving end of a goal swing big enough now for for Villa to to overtake them on the final day. Fantastic to sort of have it in our hands and be up against, uh, you know, someone who was uh, a positional rival. But really, for me, I think it's uh, a question of whether or not Villa can keep hold of seventh spot. And, you know, that in itself is already a fantastic achievement. I mean, we've spoken about, uh, you know, how Eddie Howe has led, uh, you know, Newcastle from being in the relegation zone or fighting for survival to now to the Champions League. Uh, You know, and Unai Emery has done a phenomenal job uh, as well at apart can't speak highly enough of the the turnaround that we've enjoyed under his leadership. Uh you know, and it's you know there is just now this feeling of optimism. Obviously, it would be typical of Villa to throw things away on the very last day, having worked so hard to get into this situation. But, you know, looking at that table now, there's no like if you told me we'd be in this situation a few months ago when Emery had just walked through the door and taken over from Stephen Gerrard in the relegation zone, I, I would have laughed at you. I mean, I laugh at you guys anyway, most, you know, most episodes, <laughs> but for that, for that prediction in particular. Uh, and, oh, of course, you know, what's not to be excited about as well with uh, Emmy Martinez trying to bring Lionel Messi to Villa Park. I mean, what, what a matchup that would be. I mean, there's so much the, that Messi could enjoy uh, in B6. <laughs> snobs. <laughs> yeah.
2: Getting down uh, snobs to celebrate his signing. I would just, look, I would worry that Emmy Martinez and Lionel Messi talking about joining forces, that... That would set more nervous alarm bells in me than excited ones, JJ, if I were you. Because um, certainly, Emmy Martinez is, is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I'm sure a lot of teams will be hankering after him this summer. I mean, that's something to look out for in the summer. On the subject of teams that will be hankering after a goalkeeper, Mike Lahood, are you confident that your guys have enough? Because I sort of feel like if anyone could Spurs it up, it's actually Man United, not Spurs.
1: Well, If we were playing these final two matches away from Old Trafford, then I would be just biting every bit of my nails that I have left. And fortunately, I have plenty of nails. I actually need to cut them, but that's a personal preference and not something you guys should know. Don't know why I shared that. Back to the football matter at hand with United. I'm confident they need to get a single point in their last two matches at home. Old Trafford has been an absolute fortress. I think 42 points in the league this season much different than we've seen in the past, much different than we've seen how they started the league, where teams were confident to come in and get a win, not just get a point, get a win. It's been the away form as of late that's kind of troubled. They got back on the right path recently with a win. This is a United side that is getting Marcus Rashford back. He's supposedly getting Marcus Rashford back. We'll see because he's been out with illness. You get Rashford back for this Chelsea matchup, and I think we will get points. I'm actually expecting three points against the Chelsea side that's only won once in their, what, last 10, 11 matches. Chelsea are falling apart. Chelsea are also decimated with injuries. Mason Mount, Reese James, Chilwell, and Golo Kante back in the infirmary. Questions over Kovacic. Full advantage to United. you got to take care of business for Manchester United. You have to take care of business against Chelsea because I am more weary if we lose somehow against Chelsea if it goes to that last match against Fulham Then I'll become nervous because Fulham are a team that they're such a slippery fish. I don't want to face Mitrovic on that final day with Champions League on the line we'll come on to talk about that man united uh chelsea game a little bit more later on
2: uh i have some thoughts on frank lampard it's it's going to be a struggle to contain them but it'll be good fun it'll make it for a little talking point well, so logic um, logically they're at the back end of the podcast as well because they're near the relegation zone well we just yeah exactly stuck them in the middle no one's really paying attention anymore squeeze them in between two ad breaks that is very much what they are in the uh, premier league terms so um it's, so can I say, on our running order, it says Man City, our champions, yawn. I don't know about you guys, but if something says yawn or someone says yawn, I immediately start to... I actually, am starting to yawn involuntarily. It will look like it's put on. It's not. But um, I think that's quite a, a, a general reaction, isn't it, Mike? It's all a bit boring. I think maybe it was spoiled a little bit by the fact that, in the end, they didn't have to fight for it. Arsenal handed it to them even before the final week by losing to Nottingham Forest. Um, Just like, is anyone enjoying it anymore, Mike?
1: I think so. I think the, the different caveat to this versus some of the other previous seasons is the fact that City could do something they've never done before after this Premier League title has been secured. The talk of a treble being secured in Manchester for the blue half for the first time ever in club history. I think that's what gives us a different sort of feel of oh my gosh they've done this. Can they go in the next month and do the unthinkable? And they have. I mean, they this is a, this is a team this year that have the Premier League's greatest single season goal scorer in Erling Holland. And I think when you have things like that and you have just kind of that goal machine, the way they've really turned it up in the last three months, it gives a little different feel to this, but. You know, five out of the last six, there is a bit of a yam factor for me. But I think the, the bigger storyline about the season is there's a new contender in the mix in Arsenal. That, I think, is the biggest storyline is Arsenal pushed them towards the very end. But at the end of the day, they did give them the title.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's different ways that we can look at this. You know, you can look at it with respect to City for what they might be able to achieve in the coming weeks. Uh, You know, the treble for the first time since, what, 1999, which I know that Mike will be sweating and hoping that United can take the FA Cup away from them so that they don't equal that historic feat. But, uh, you know, I do think that, you know, Obviously, it is a shame that Arsenal weren't able to get it over the line because that would have given, you know, some sort of new excitement factor to the Premier League. Uh, you know, obviously it, it felt quite underwhelming towards the end, as James already said, with, you know, results from, from Arsenal basically handing it to City. But equally at the same time, you know, this City side in the last couple of months, they've really come into their own. Uh, you know, and to see them potentially dominate, you know, on the continent as well as uh, you know, domestically. You know, you'd have to say that it's finally sort of time to recognise that they are, you know, the best assembled, uh, you know, and, and best performing team, uh, you know, in European football at this moment in time. Which we felt for quite a while that they. Probably have been, but obviously, you know, the titles haven't shown that, you know, we did expect them to win the Champions League uh, back in 2021 when Chelsea beat them narrowly. But, you know, it does really now just feel like it's City's time. So while I'm with Mike in that there is a little bit of a yawn factor and it would have been nice to have Arsenal sort of, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak. Equally, you do have to sort of, you know, take your hat off to what Guardiola and City have managed to do finally, because it is something we've been talking about them potentially being able to do for, for a year or so now, at least.
2: Love this these comments coming in for Ed. Worry for you here, Mike. He thinks Inter are more likely to win than Manchester United. Ed, <laughs> like, I agree with you, mate. I don't see United. Well, to be honest. I, I think Mike agrees with him now. Yeah. does.
1: Given what I've seen this of late.
2: <laughs> my, Mike has also been Ed. Mike has also been drinking the inter Kool-Aid
3: by the gallon. Do we, do, do we know do we know Ed's surname? Uh it's quite I'm interesting. interesting.
0: <laughs>
2: Ed, <Lodge.
3: laughs> Ed Ed's my cousin. Um, another
2: one here, Ed. Congrats to Pet, but we all know how manager manage the season, right? Matt as well, pretty uh, really are not optimistic on the chance of a title next season now Mike Arsenal won't catch City napping the same way again next season and I mean that's the thing It's like City had a little bit of a nap this season they were slow out of the blocks and yet it looks like they're going to end up on 94 points it's you know these are impossible standards and I think we kind of almost have to say I mean remember the as great as that Liverpool team were that won one title and pushed City close several years That one season where they did win the title. City just didn't get out of the blocks at all. Liverpool, it was a a procession. They'd won it before COVID happened. Um, I think I'm firmly of the view that next season, the only team that can bottle the league is Man City. The only team that should start as, you know, even a realistic contender for the league is Man City. It's Man City's to lose every year now until something changes. And of course, we know with those 115 alleged breaches of Premier League rules, something could change. Something could dramatic. But I mean, I like. I want to come on to, to Ed's statement about, um, Eddie Howe, but it also kind of teased us up for something a little bit different as well. Question from uh, producer Des here. He said, which current premier league managers could win the league with this city squad? I thought, don't like that question. I changed that question because I'm the host and I get to do things like that. So I'm going to start with JJ, then Mike, and then I'll give my own suggestion. Jonathan Johnson, which current premier league manager or manager couldn't win the league with this city squad.
3: <laughs> I'm really worried I mean, this one's gonna take my hands. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, the obvious candidate, I guess, given that he's been brought in to save Leeds United and he doesn't look like he's gonna succeed at that job at this moment in time would probably be somebody like a Sam Allardyce. But has he been in the Premier League long enough this season to sort of judge him based on that? I don't know about it. I mean I I'd certainly feel, I feel like you'd like prefer- to see him try. I would like to see him try. I don't think there's anyone in this chat that wouldn't like to see him try. And obviously he would like to to have a, a crack at it as well, based on some of his comments in a press conference recently. But uh, no, I mean, if I was to sort of keep it closer to home, I definitely have more confidence in Unai Emery managing to to win the league with this city squad than uh, I would have done his predecessor, Steven Gerrard. So I think I know who James is gonna go with as the, the candidate who wouldn't be able to lead City to it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to him to to do the big unveil. No, go on Mike. Let's see if you beat me uh, to it.
1: I, I feel like I'm gonna beat you to it. He's in charge of Chelsea. There's only one person. It's Vic's boy, <laughs> super Frank Lampard. This guy, he's got more of the Drake curse than I do, just peeling different L's, taking L's on the chin for Chelsea. I mean, even if you gave him two Erling Hollands, I still think he'd find a way to mess it up. Doesn't know his Chelsea team. Don't think he'd even know the city team if you gave him the keys to the castle.
2: Yes, you did take mine. Um, <laughs> Frank Lampard is, in my view, and I don't want to spoil our our chat to come in the second half, but Frank Lampard is, in my view, the worst manager in the Premier League right now. Um, if it weren't for one other, I think you could make it a, a good case him being the worst manager in Premier League history. I think I'm allowed Nathan Jones as the manager that couldn't win the He was in charge of a Premier League team this season. I know it feels like a lifetime ago. I'm sure it doesn't for Southampton fans who are still waiting. A a friend of mine, colleague, uh, Alan Smith at The Mirror, did this on Frank Lampard, which I really like. Frank Lampard left Everton when they were 19th in the table. In a table of results since he stepped back in at Chelsea, they are 18th. Everton are 16th. Everton under Lampard played 21 3 drew 6 uh, lost 13 0.75 points per game. Chelsea under Lampard played 7 won 1 drawn 1 lost 5 le- just over half a point a game. Yeah, I mean Mike if frankly is right the worst manager in the Premier League. Lot of love for one manager though that could win. A couple of the comments as well. Um, Ed Vic for the I mean everyone's gone for the same for the manager that couldn't but for the manager that could win. Roberto Di Zerbi, he definitely could do it. Um, and a little bit of love. We spoke about their rivals, or somewhat rivals for the top six, uh, Aston Villa. Um, but what a job Roberto Di Zerbi has, has done this season. Um, taking Brighton into the top six, building in a position where he knows that, you know, players like Trossard were taken from him. He lost, they'd lost the coaching staff. They'd lost Kukurea. Um, they'd lost so much and they've grown exponentially. Really hope we get to enjoy a, the right version of of Brighton next season. It certainly looks like McAllister is Liverpool bound. Caicedo as well could leave. But Mike, do you think they can, you know, considering the recruitment they've done before, do you think they can, uh, they can weather that storm and, and come back and do well in Europe and the Premier League?
1: I think it's going to go down to the, the recruitment. That's how they've gotten to this point, is recruiting talent from Latin America. And you look at some of the countries that they've gone to, and CISO comes in from Paraguay. I think he's been an absolute hit for them, especially late on in this season. Alexis McAllister and Moises Casado, these are players that, though know, McAllister had more of a pedigree, but these are players that... The Brighton staff, especially under Graham Potter, they did their homework. And De Zerbi, he's used to doing quality recruitment when he was in Italy with Sassuolo. He's he's no different to coming in and really guiding young players to take them to the next level. I am I applaud him for the job he's done because it's not just replacing the likes of Trossard. It's really implementing your style of play. I mean, he's gone from playing a back three that Graham Potter used to play to getting this team to play a 4 2 one or 433. I expect them to have continued success in light of losing some big players.
3: I mean, I think as well, sort of to add to this is, I think people have to factor in, uh, you know, that this is a historic achievement for Brighton as well. It's not like you know some managers have done this in the past, and Deserby is just sort of rehashing history. He's not. He's genuinely now taking the Seagulls where they've never flown before, which you know I think adds to to how impressive this uh, this achievement is, Uh, you know. And I think obviously, you know, there's a lot of debate about, you know, the likes of Howe, the likes of Emery, uh, you know. And I think there are, you know, certain sort of um, you know things that need to be factored into those arguments as well. What Howe has done is, is phenomenal since taking over at Newcastle, but equally he's had a bit more money to spend. On Newcastle have spent their money differently, shall we say, to Brighton because it's not it's not been a lavish assemble a lavishly assembled squad at Newcastle either. So I do think we should take that into account, and that's also kind of what maybe counts against Emery a little bit with Villa. Like yes, it's phenomenal what he's done in the turnaround of getting Villa battling from relegation to potentially qualifying for Europe, but equally. Equally, Villa have put a lot of money into recruitment in the last couple of years. And it's taken a coach of Emery's ability to really start making that make sense on the pitch. Whereas De has come in at a time, as James rightly said, you know, where a lot of pieces have been taken away. He's still managed to keep it working. He's improved it even because there's a lot of people who have been saying, you know, you know, was Potter actually kind of holding Brighton back? And I think that's a little harsh, but Equally, you know, Deserby has shown that there is a different way to sort of continue pushing on, uh, you know, despite something previously working well and then being sort of picked off by a bigger club. And, you know, for that alone, I think that Deserby really deserve. <laughs> not not <laughs> not, say not, inten- not in- unintended, but yeah, I think he's a very deserving candidate he for would, manager of the season.
2: You would love it. You would love it. And you think he would deserve it. To quote the great exactly. Man Ronaldo, to be in both mean, your
1: columns—that's that's that's, that's I, just poetry right
2: there. I completely agree with with JJ. I mean, look—you know, these seagulls, much like actual seagulls, twenty years ago, completely different creatures. Now they are more aggressive; they'll go right at you. They've got no, so no fear of humans; uh, they'll nick mm-hmm. your chips if they need to. Um, <laughs> and I mean, this is this is quite remarkable. And you know, I for one am really, really, really hopeful. We get some European nights down on the the South Coast in 2024 when the sun's shining. I'm like, what's that? I might be able to get a day at the beach and then go and watch some Europa League football. That literally sounds like my dream. Right. We'll be back for part two. We're going to talk some Man United, Chelsea, uh, and what's left of the top four race. Okay, picture this.
0: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
3: I think we're uh, we're frozen there on James Benj, and I know that he was about to deliver a nugget of absolute wisdom. So let's uh, we'll step in for James for a minute until he's back in. Mike Lahood, Uh, and let's turn this uh, you know debate now a bit more towards Liverpool. Uh, You know we've been sort of I know that we've been looking at some of the other aspects of some of the clubs sort of up and around the European positions. We've been talking about potential title contenders. Uh, You know people. Who might be able to pretend, uh, you know, to to challenge for for city's title in the future? I feel like we didn't really touch on Liverpool uh, that much. Uh, you know, is there anything that you want to sort of add on them? Because we know that it's going to be a big rebuild over the summer. Uh, you know, there's been questions asked of Jurgen Klopp. Uh, sort of parallels drawn between what's happening at Anfield now, what happened at Borussia Dortmund in the past. Uh, you know, do you think are, are you as a United fan worried that Liverpool are going to be back and much stronger uh, next season? Obviously, they've been. In a good run of form of late to to potentially push into top four contention but it feels like this was a season missed by the reds really do you think that they're going to be back with a vengeance next season
1: i think it depends on what happens with a player the likes of alexis mcallister i think the midfield has always been a talking point the back line as well but injuries to this midfield this midfield has been such a glue hardworking, so many players who are industrious and have teed things up i look at that if you get a player a younger player in the form of a McAllister, then I think the worry is back and you start looking over your shoulder. If you're United or your top four team, I think Liverpool do miss out on top four this year, by the way. And I think the Europa League is a good proving gown for a new look. Jurgen Klopp side moving forward into next season. But if they miss out on recruitment again, then it could be worrying signs for Liverpool fans in what could be as they move forward.
2: It's a lot of recruitment though, isn't it? I mean, it's not just, yes, you need, you need McAllister to, to fill the Thiago role. I mean, Curtis Jones is coming on great and that's a big plus, but you know, they'll need to buy a Fabinho replacement. I mean, kind of hanging over all this. Mo Salah has been phenomenal again, and he could keep going and going and going, but you need to be ready. You need to be ready for Van Dijk, who's aging out a little bit. Canate is probably, you know, these are a lot of, positions to fill. And then you need to hope that you really did hit on Gakpo. that Nunes comes good in year two. I almost think, you know, I I think if Klopp wants to stay and build team two, we know he can, although we have kind of questions about how much that recruitment models change with Edwards out and Ward out. There's a lot of work to be done to prove that they're going to be masters of the transfer window again. But Klopp has, I mean, in many ways it's quite exciting almost seeing A team that might do the same thing again, that might do in the Europa League what they did last time mate, and lose to Unai Emery. I'm sure, JJ, that's your hope that that can somehow happen. Although I presume that would mean that Emery would have to leave. Anyway, uh, we should briefly talk about Man United, chelsea because it could make all of our Liverpool talk academic. Newcastle, we know, they secured their top four finish with a uh, weird 0-0 draw against Leicester. And Manchester United on Thursday night can follow them. Before that, we'll have Brighton, Man City. Uh, but Man United, Chelsea, very much. You remember what we used to say about Man United, Arsenal, Mike Lahoud, that we said, oh, you know, this is the game of of fallen idols, of, of once great teams that are now just hoping that one day they might compete for the title. Might I suggest to you that that is now what Man United and Chelsea is?
1: Well, I think this year Arsenal proved that different because when that game came about... At the Emirates, that became a game of massive proportions. There's t- there's talks of United slowly calling their way back to make it a three-horse race. That was squashed by Eddie and Ketia. I will have nightmares about you forever moving forward, because I think that could have been...
2: Never, there was never anything to no. squash.
1: Ah oh, man, I thought so. But in this Man United-Chelsea game, it's almost damage control. And we, we haven't seen that sort of matchup when you look at these two teams for United... I look at it as absolute damage control of just be professional. Do not give up that first goal. Do not give a team that is the wounded animal any chance to believe. I think if United get an early goal or get a goal in the first half, you will see a Chelsea team who is begging for the season to end. These players want to go on holiday. The manager can't wait for it to end because he does not know what he's doing. And the results show that. For United... Take care of business at hand. Give the fans, give your fans something to be proud of. Give us top four football and do that by getting Marcus Rashford back in the mix. I look at players that have been out, the likes of Garnaccio. Could this be a game where he takes advantage, comes off the bench and gets a winner? If you get that, then you're, you you solidify top four. And now we can look towards the bigger issue, the summer transfer window, because my God, we need a striker and we need one badly if we're going to be in Champions League next year.
3: Well, I love that Mike was uh, so generous towards Chelsea and suggesting that they'd only want the season to end after this game. To me, it's felt like they've wanted the season to end for quite some time now, especially since September. their Champions League exit. <laughs> yeah, perhaps even as early as that. It's uh, it, it feels like Chelsea at this moment in time. I mean, they really are in, in need of a steady hand and we know that that will probably come at the end of the season. Obviously, uh, massive expectation that Maurizio Pochettino is going to be confirmed uh, you know, soon. But uh, at this moment in time, we're sort of still waiting for for the official word to fall. And I'm glad that Mike brought the the summer transfer window into the mix because obviously an interesting name was thrown in both concerning Manchester United and Chelsea, uh, you know, less than 24 hours ago, Neymar. Now, my understanding uh, of that sort of with my ear close to the ground in Paris is that We know that PSG have wanted Neymar out for over a year. They were open to letting him go last summer, didn't manage to find a taker. At that time, PSG wanted that on a permanent deal. Since then, they've realized that perhaps the only way they're going to be able to get Neymar out of the door is to sanction a loan move, a loan with either an option or an obligation to buy, as long as uh, the taking team, uh, you know, occupy the majority of his salary, and that is a big, hefty wage packet. But concerning the the reports that surfaced via L'Equipe on Monday evening, there hasn't actually been any direct contact between United, PSG, and Chelsea regarding Neymar at this moment in time. It's all sort of intermediaries looking for potential landing spots uh, for Neymar. Obviously, there's still a lot of details to be confirmed on the PSG end about what next season is going to look like because you expect that the manager will change. There's going to be a couple of you know faces leaving. Lionel Messi will be going. Uh, you know, will Sergio Ramos be staying around? His performances recently don't suggest that he will. So you know, there is a lot that could change. I think it would have to be a very strong managerial candidate coming in to potentially persuade PSG to continue any further with Neymar so I do expect there to be a lot of speculation around the Brazilian this summer but in terms of that link there is no sort of direct negotiation at this moment in time between United uh, and PSG and none between Chelsea plenty of interest you know Chelsea have sort of looked into it in the past but with no Champions League football it's very
1: difficult to see Neymar going there. Yeah, we're seeing some of our fans in the chat fic 60,000 plus a week is too much to shoulder for any team. I don't know about that. There is one team or a couple teams in the Premier League and around the world who could do it. JJ quick from you. Who are some of the other potential suitors for a player like Neymar?
3: I mean, I think logically for Neymar, you'd assume that he wants to stay in Europe and play in the Champions League still. So, a club that's just getting into the Champions League with a bit of money to spend cough, cough Newcastle United, potentially that kind of destination. Uh, but really, I don't think it's that easy to to sort of place him anywhere now. I mean, with Barcelona's finances, the mess that you know there is there, I think you know a return, an emotional return, uh, you know, would be off the table for for Neymar, uh, unlike it is for for Messi at this moment in time. I can't really see him go anywhere else in Spain. I mean, to be honest, I think his main avenues are either going to the Premier League or somebody coming in who wants to work with him uh, and tries to sort of be, rebuild PSG just with Neymar and Mbappe as their star two. But we've already seen that in the past, you know, fail to work out. So, I mean, aside from potentially a lucrative payday somewhere like Saudi Arabia, you know, it's difficult to see where Neymar lands, uh, you know, without Some club being willing to take a major risk because at the end of the day, that's what it would be now. He is 31. He is on mega wages for somebody who barely finishes a full season because of his injuries. Uh, And although his numbers were decent last season, that was explained by the fact he was working towards the World Cup, which he basically broke down in because of his ankle injury, an ankle injury which underwent surgery, which apparently really should have happened back in 2017. So it is a difficult sell for a number of massive clubs at this moment in time.
2: And I think the interesting thing now, I mean, especially in relation to the premier league is there is just not the dumb money for want of a better term that there was even five, six years ago, almost every club now has a settled defined recruitment model filled with the sort of experts that would look at exactly what JJ's just laid us out for us there. You know, it's not just 31 year old, it's 31 year old with lengthy injury history, high wages,
3: questionable attitude fair to say jaden no, i mean his lifestyle i mean look look at his twitter feed right now and wait and uh, count how many uh, updates there are on it before you actually get anything that's football related it's all it's all gambling promotion and that is one of the things that psg have really struggled with you know they brought him in and you know, okay you know that when you come to paris you're going to be able to live the high life if you want to but You know, they've seen this sort of, you know, a completely different animal with with Neymar and sort of the way that he indulges, uh, you know, away from the pitch. And that has been a massive struggle. And Neymar himself has spoken publicly about it as well, not wanting to live kind of like a a nun-like existence where he devotes his life to football. I think that will turn off a lot of clubs. (laughs) I like this question from Rafa, which is right. I said there was less
2: gun money. There are two teams, I would say at the very least. Rafa, mentioning one of them, explained Forrest then. What I'd say, Rafa, yeah. is Forest have just secured their second season. I mean, there was a lot of wastage there. They didn't need to buy a lot of players. They probably didn't need to get through three goalkeepers in one season. But I guess if your end game is or Navas, you've done something, right? Um, God, they could really just do with a quiet summer. I mean... Morgan Gibbs-White, Jamie Carragher on, on Sky Sports, our uh, analyst Morgan Gibbs-White said he was the signing of the season. And you know what? When he said that, I thought, that's absolutely right. I mean, the only one for me that you could even convince yourself, and I know, JJ, you were saying that Neymar would want Champions League football. You One does wonder if Chelsea might just be foolish enough. And I say that because mm-hmm. with Nkunku coming as well, I make that Pulisic, Nkunku, Sterling, Aubameyang. All on the books to play an inside left position. Hudson Adoy as well would like playing that position. And if there's one thing we know about Chelsea, it's that they cannot be trusted to uh, to make shrewd investments with their with their money. So you do wonder. But look, the crazy money isn't really there for Neymar beyond countries that want to to wash their reputation in the sands of football or the waters of football. Um, briefly, I just want to just hit on Chelsea very quickly, and then we'll we'll run back to this break. Obviously, this game doesn't really mean much to them. We know that Pochettino's coming in the new season, Mike. How much how many how many new players? Let's let's put Nkunku and, and Malagusto to one side. We know they're coming. How many new players should should he look to be recruiting? I look at this squad and think it needs a new goalkeeper. It needs someone to succeed Thiago Silva, someone to succeed Kante, an actual centre forward someone to succeed Mason Mount. And yet I'm incredibly conscious that Chelsea's squad is already in the thirties numbers wise. And that the whole problem they've had all along is that they, I mean, I've I've just forgot Mudrick from the players that play in the inside left position, the whole, I mean, so what does Poch do? Does he go down to the bone and and not actually recruit that much? Or do they just need to try and get this right in one season? Because the early indications are that Todd Bowley and Bedarek Bali are not blessed with patience.
1: No, I think that that's where the biggest struggle is going to come is the lack of patience from a Todd Bowley. This is a Chelsea team that have players from the past and players from the present and are looking to build with players of the future. They have zero recruitment strategy. When Pep Guardiola came into Manchester City, so much was made about his players that he brought in, the Ilka Gundagans, the Kevin De Bruyne is, but he got rid of some of the players that were no longer of use to the plan that he had that he was going to forge ahead. He got rid of the Samir Nazris, He got rid of the dead weight. And as a manager that comes in to implement your strategy, to make it your club, your team, you got to cut the dead weight. Came Ziyech, if he is still there through the summer, that is a loss. <clears throat> Christian Pulisic, if he is still there, and I hate to rag on my USMNT players, but he needs to leave Chelsea for his own sake and the club sake. There's too much dead weight. There's players who haven't hit yet because you're fighting with players for time that do not need to be there, that need to move on. If that happens for Potts first, then he can build with the players that he wants to bring in and Todd Bowley, they can commiserate on who they're gonna move forward with.
2: Right, right. After the break, we are gonna quickly chat about the big matter of the final week of the season. There's a relegation dog fight. Keep calm guys, there's a dog fight out there and only one dog is gonna emerge victorious.
5: Selling a little.
2: A little bit of Matt Turner few there at the end of the second, third. Now we go on to the final part and it's all about that relegation battle. At the moment, Everton's fate is in their hands. They know if they beat Bournemouth on the final day, they are safe. Leicester and Leeds are down. Leicester can escape with a win if Everton don't win. They've got a decent goal difference. Leeds probably gone two points behind they'd need both Everton and Leicester to lose if they're to escape but Everton I mean I would suggest I would contend are the big beasts left standing I mean JJ and I can tell you I don't think either of us have. well so probably even our parents haven't known a time when Everton went in the top division so JJ what would it mean for for Everton with a new stadium around the corner if they were to slip out of the Premier League this season?
3: Oh, I mean, it would be disastrous. I mean, you you just have to take a cursory glance at some of the, the the articles out there recently circulating around the potential sale of the club to know that, you know, this is a club that's in major... Uh, financial distress and has been sort of, you know, circling the circling the drain really the last couple of seasons, you know, sort of flirting with relegation. Uh, you know, Deitch has just about managed to keep their heads above water coming into this last week. But, you know, for, for Everton to go down, I think it could be potentially catastrophic. I mean, we're looking at Leeds as one of their sort of relegation rivals. Look at what happened to Leeds when Leeds dropped out of the Premier League. I think that's the sort of impact that we can potentially talk about uh, you know relegation having on Everton, I think it would be absolutely catastrophic. I don't think necessarily that this staying up this season would even end those worries as well for Everton until you know the club is, uh, you know, in a much better shape in terms of the way that it's uh, run from the top down. But uh, you know, it would give them at least sort of another twelve months to to get things right and potentially look forward, uh, you know, to to being able to thrive in the Premier League instead of battling against the drop once again. But I think out of all of the clubs potentially going down Everton and Leicester are the ones I fear for more than Leeds, I would say.
1: Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think this is a Leeds side that is doing everything they can to guarantee being in the championship next year. There are some things you just can't explain in football and Leeds United fans are still searching for explanations in how they got to this point. And I, I think last year they, it was a miracle what Rafinha did to keep them up. That was a miracle in itself. And they were always going to be in survival mode. They've gone through Jesse Marsh and they've had injuries. This was a lead side that could have done with stability, grinding out results, as we've seen from a forest, making it difficult to play it at home. And Big Sam, he's come in to bring more believability. But when you have players the likes of a Patrick Bamford who keeps getting starts, you're relying on a player who's out of form, who isn't of the quality as he once was, to be your lead striker in the English Premier League, you're going down, 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 baby. And when I look at this, I look at it's going to be between Leicester City and Everton. Everton playing against a Bournemouth side who have been good at home. Everton has come through a difficult patch playing against top 10 teams in the Premier League, and they've gotten some surprise results under Sondayish this will be their biggest test yet because I think this is a Bournemouth side that although they don't have as much to play for, they would love nothing more than to end the season by putting the nail in the coffin on a big club with a big reputation to to send them down.
2: Yeah. Bournemouth would love that. I don't know if anyone follows them on social media, but they're being very loud about their own survival. I find that a little bit naff. You know, lots of like tweets of like "Eh, loads of pundits said we'd get relegated. It's like, yeah, loads of pundits said you'd get relegated because you hardly bought anyone and Scott Parker was your manager and it's actually only some really fantastic additions in the January transfer window that kept you up and great work from then getting the likes of Ahmed Traore and uh, Watara. Briefly hit on Leicester. I think I'm going to be at the King Power on Sunday. That's certainly the current plan. Uh, <laughs> I would really miss the King Power. It has to be said, first of all, one of the best grounds in the Premier League with one of the best spreads. Um <laughs> Interestingly, I think they might be all right if they went down. We know that a lot of their big names would go and they would go for much less than they would have gone for a year ago. I mean, obviously, someone like Tielemans would walk away for nothing. James Madison might go from being a 60, 70 million pound player to 30 or 40, but, you know, there's money there to reinvest. There's a a rich seam of young talent. I think actually players like Sutar as well could do a good job in the championship without face. Maybe even someone like Patson Dacca needs a season in the championship. Um I think Leicester, I mean look, I mean we can do predictions here maybe as well, um, on who we think will survive. I think that Leicester will win, but Everton will win too. Uh, and that means Leicester and Leeds gone. Um, but I think Leicester will bounce straight back and may well do so in quite impressive fashion if they get the right manager. I'm not sure. Much as I, I know JJ all the same. I do think Dean is an excellent coach. I think right now. Things aren't working out for him in the game. So if they get the right coach next season, Leicester back up. But I think they and Everton are going down. JJ?
3: Yeah, I I have to agree with you. Uh, You know, I think that Leicester and Leeds, um, you know, are better suited for the championship. And Leicester, I mean, you've already touched on it. You know, we could already say that, you know, their recruitment sort of in the last, uh, you know, six to 12 months has, has kind of been sort of championship-based anyway, uh, you know, and and sort of sets them up well for for that impact. Uh, It it is a shame to say, uh, you know, that about uh, Dean Smith. He is a a lovely guy and did, you know, fantastic stuff for Aston Villa, you know, his childhood club. Uh, You know, we wouldn't be back in the Premier League, uh, you know, and potentially knocking on the door of Europe without the, the hard work that he put in obviously with that team led by the likes of Jack Grealish, but equally, um, you know, sort of his last couple of managerial postings have not been particularly impressive. Uh, and to be honest, I felt like it was always going to be a hiding to nothing for him and or for whoever else interviewed for that Leicester job, because it feels like the nails have been in the coffin for for weeks, even when, uh, you know, he took over the job, there was speculation that Jesse Marsh might be looking at it. Uh, I do agree with you. I think if they make the right kind of decision in terms of who leads them next season, season. Uh, you know, like Burnley did with Vincent Company, I think that Leicester could be back up immediately. Uh, I think that Leeds would probably be in the mix as well. But Everton, for me, I think they'll win on the final day, which makes sort of all this chat about Leicester potentially staying up a bit academic. I'm with James there.
1: Yeah, I mean both of you have said everything there is to possibly say about this. Leicester, the thing that intrigues me is you have too many players that have been there and have been loyal servants to the club linked to moves to bigger clubs. I think of Tillemans. I think of James Madison. I think of Jamie Vardy when he was at the peak of his powers that I think that's, what's disgruntled this group were players that have one eye on a different prize throughout the season from the summer transfer window through the winter transfer window till now, I think that's what's cost them. And you know, Brendan Rodgers, there was disgruntled stuff going on behind the scenes. It's, it's a pity to see a club like Leicester, who were Premier League champions not that long ago, who won the FA Cup not that long ago, and now to see them on the brink of disaster going down to the championship, that could be the refresher that they need to get it right to bounce back up in the future.
2: Did you say who's going down? Or are you trying to get out of doing a prediction?
1: Oh, no, no, no. My prediction, obviously Southampton down. I think Leeds are just about guaranteeing they'll go down and Leicester City.
2: Brill, Right. Let it not be said that I ignore the comments because I want to, but I don't. Ed, I know you mentioned at the start of the season, Eddie Howe, manager of the season, I think it was JC as well, said, who do the lads think deserves manager of the season? And why is it Eddie Howe? So just briefly before we call it a day, before we go beyond the 50-minute mark and infuriate producer Dez, I want to get your guys manager of the season. Mike, I'll start with you. Is it Eddie Howe? And if not, why not?
1: Manager of the season for me is Deserby (laughs) because he's taken Brighton to a place they've never been before, as you guys eloquently said, and the sky is still the limit for this current season and what they could do. And this is a manager who did it with not the biggest budget and he had to do it through recruitment and reestablishing his own philosophy for Brighton.
3: I think for me, uh, I do agree with with Mike. I think that De is is right up there, as I stated the case already. But what I'll try to do is put forward a case for Unai Emery. Now, obviously, we know that Villa have pumped a lot more money into recruitment. But you look at where Villa were when he took over from Steven Gerrard, not just where Villa were in the table, but what they actually were in terms of their lack of identity on the pitch. And the turnaround that he's managed to achieve without a full preseason to get his ideas across—yes, he had that mini break during the World Cup—and uh, only adding one actual player to the squad in Alex Moreno, I think has been nothing short of phenomenal. And had he not been up against candidates like Howe, like Deserbi, who have achieved, you know, historic landmarks, I, I think he would be one of the favourites for for the award this season.
2: A couple of mentions in the comments as well before I give you mine. Rafa Cardenas mentioning Unai Emery. Julian Lapetegui deserves praise as well. Completely agree with that. He didn't get much. Vic Gary O'Neill deserves a shout. Pep as well. Um, I agree with all these. I think there's been a lot of managers. No one said Marco Silva. I mean, the underlying metrics have looked weird, but Fulham have had a great season. They're going to finish in the top half if it weren't for Brentford, the best team in West London. Um, No one really mentions him, but I actually think that Steve Cooper has quite a convincing case for being manager of the season if only because i'm not sure anyone's been thrown into more challenging circumstances i'm not sure anyone has has been in those challenging circumstances and constantly had to fear for their own job when they're doing a really good one kind of we saw so many stories this season that Steve Cooper was on the brink he rode that out he had the backing of the fans and he's turned a smoggers board of possibilities but you know there's a lot of weird ingredients there it's a bit like ready steady chef or iron chef or whatever chef program where they're they're throwing this grab bag of food and it's like make this feast out of peppers uh uh chocolate and cilantro he's turned this into something fantastic it's the Nottingham
3: forest fans are eating it, so, it sounds a lot like the chelsea scenario doesn't it it's a little bit well, so so yes maybe steve cooper should get the chelsea job next <laughs> He's have already done it <laughs> i so think if, steve cooper with deserves
1: all these, with all these food just allegories and whatnot is your mind already on the king power because you talked about the spread and how i can hardly wait
2: it. no i tell you what it is is we've been you, you can't the viewers can maybe see on youtube can't quite you can see the trees but not the garden we've been planting the herb garden this weekend so mm. it's very much in my mind i very much enjoyed planting the, the herb garden on uh, sunday it was about all i could do i have been laid down with a lurky. but yeah steve cooper manager of the season i think he deserves some love um congratulations to him and nottingham forest and i really hope i get to go to the city ground next season because been a real sore point for me that i haven't seen a forest game at their home uh so far this season right That is that. Do please let us know on Twitter in the comments over the days to come who you think is the manager of the season. I think next week we might do a few more awards and and the like and I'm sure Nigel, Rio, Koker and Ian Joy will have their takes when we wrap up the Premier League season next week but there'll be plenty more to come between now and then. Thanks so much for listening to House of Champions. Please do take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform whatever that may be because we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts we're there we're also on youtube where you can watch us on video form do subscribe to us there thanks john jonathan johnson thanks mike lahood i've been james bench thank you so much for watching and listening bye